All right. Welcome back to the Awakening Innovations podcast. This is Michael Barnes, your host. And today we have an international uh, guest. Um, his name is Kirk Magoo. And I ran into him on LinkedIn, where he has a lot of great uh, videos and uh, podcasts and that kind of stuff. So definitely check him out. And I'll put the link in the show notes. And um, he, <laughs> sorry, Dr. Kirk Magoo is a former senator from Trinidad and Tobago, if you know where that is. Um, and he's lived and traveled in various places around the globe. He's a former university lecturer, author, academic, TV, and podcast host. Um, he has exited academia, however, uh, roughly in a number of, of feathers along the way, which our listeners will probably understand that I love. Um, and currently, he helps others to do the same sort of thing. Um, he also works a lot with uh, charities, NGOs, and NPOs, which, again, as our listeners know, is a big passion of mine. So welcome, uh, Dr. Kirk Magoo, and I'm excited uh, to talk to you. Oh, well, uh, thank you for having me, and uh, hello to your audience. And of course, you can just call me Kirk. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Kirk. Um, yeah, so thank you. Um, Tell us a little bit about you. The, the way I always ask the question is, how did you get to this point in life? Yeah, well, what, I, I suppose that there, there are many uh, ways you can define the point I'm at, depending <laughs> on the dimension you're looking at. <laughs> yes. um, uh, I mean, basically, let's see. I, um, I, in a sense, I'm, in my own mind, I have to tell you, I'm on the same path I've always been. But uh, for, for others externally, it might seem different uh, yes. because for me, when I was in academia, uh, it, academia was always like a means to an end in, in a certain way because I was always interested in social change. I, I won't say always. I mean, that's another story. Like when I was about <laughs> 16, right? That like my whole world's changed at, at that point, and I'm I'm just to give you and your listeners some context. That's sometime in the 1980s, right? Like around 84, something like that, 85, and um, and uh, you know, the, around that time, that was uh, if if your listeners are of that age, they would remember yeah. Amnesty International and do they know it's Christmas and uh, yeah. all these concerts and. Uh, uh, musicians, live aid and that kind of yeah, stuff. Live Aid, Band Aid, um, We Are the World, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And then you had all um, the Nicaraguan stuff and the El Salvador stuff and 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 all that and apartheid and yep, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it just uh, that uh, it was actually religion class in okay. my religion class that opened all that stuff up because I was just into computers and art and stuff like yeah. that and whatever i had no idea about the the world outside so and this was uh, high school when you were 16 yeah 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 it was okay. like um so this uh, was in trinidad no actually um i was in canada at the time okay i yeah i was actually born in the u.s and i lived okay. in canada and i i went to to I can't say we went back to Trinidad because I wasn't born there, but that's where my family's from. I mean, our family's now six generations in Trinidad, okay. but, but my own parents had migrated and I decided to, to go back in Trinidad when I was just 21. And it was all part of the whole 
sort of, um, you know, social consciousness and trying to change the world, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, and, and I, I always um, thought of, you know, being in academia as, as part of that, as, you know, understanding the world, changing people's consciousness. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose uh, getting behind the, you know, I, I don't want to sound too harsh or radical or whatever, but the lies that were fed you know, <laughs> in the mainstream media and so forth. So I, I've always thought it, you know, as, as leading to that, I, I was always, um, you know, admiring public intellectuals and, and mm -hmm. I suppose, you know, I wanted to be one, you know, right. did you have any, that's how I saw specific? it. Anyone specific that you admired at that point? Do you remember? Let's see the the first. Um, I mean, the first when I first, my when my consciousness was first done, I, I went back to my teenage years with you. So it was like it was mainly musicians, right? Musicians yeah. and celebrities. That that was it. And I was a musician. I still play. I, I love playing. Music. What do you play? Uh, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so yeah, I. Uh, so I was like really influenced by them. And uh, later on, as I started to read and stuff, um, I mean, CLR uh, James, who is a Trinidadian Marxist intellectual, uh, was a profound influence on me. But before, he, um, George Orwell was big uh, yeah. on me as well. Later on, V.S. Naipaul, ironically, because he's not a kind of social change person at all. But, uh, but very important in my consciousness, much later on, more like uh, in the like two, 1990s and 2000 and stuff, when my own political perspective started to change. Um, and I started to kind of be skeptical of a lot of the save the world people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coming, coming from the heart of it, I kind of knew a lot of the problems within the community. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so th those those are some of the people, but uh, a lot of it initially w were people like you know a, a lot of like left wing Marxist intellectuals and and more kind of cultural people like Stuart Hall, especially out of Britain, and mm. um, uh, and like the cultural studies people. I'm not sure if right. you know them. And then later on, the postmodernist people. Then later on in the '90s, when I kind of I kind of took a turn away from that and like. Camille Paglia, I, I especially loved. She was extremely important to me while I was doing my PhD thesis in terms of opening yeah. up my mind to other perspectives. But I, I've really ranged from left to right, from uh, you know, a lot of extremes, a lot of uh, fringe things. Malcolm X was huge for me. Okay. He's not an intellectual as such, but... Uh, but, cultural icon yeah yeah you know but but certainly an amazing speaker and thinker and an incredibly yeah. intelligent man you know yeah. but um yeah so so that was high school and then you mentioned graduate school yeah so what did you do what degree right well my my undergrad was in international development studies which was amazing for me because in school, I, I did well in school, and, um, and I did well in a lot of different things, from arts to sciences to humanities, and wow. I had no idea 
what I wanted to specialize in. I, I, to this day, I don't think I have it. I, I just love it all. And there was, uh, I mean, luckily, I mean, you know, my parents did not go to university. So I, I had no guidance whatsoever. Um, they really had no clue. And luckily, I, I was in Toronto. And the local university was the University of Toronto, which is like, you know, the leading university of Canada. It was okay. an excellent university. So, uh, so that was lucky that that was my local university. Uh, you know, and when I went there, there was this amazing program I discovered. And I think it was uh, maybe my, we had something called grade 13 at that time in Ontario, okay. which I don't, it doesn't exist anymore but it's kind of like a pre-university thing. And uh, yeah, my grade 13 world issues uh, teacher pointed me to the program, I think. And um, it was a specialist program called International Development Studies, where it was amazing. It was a godsend because it was interdisciplinary. We did politics, economics, uh, sociology, anthropology, soil science, um, environmental science, um, history, you know, where because you'd be specializing in a certain area, yeah. And, and at that time, I wanted to be with the FMLN in El Salvador, so uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, Latin America was my um, spe uh, area of specialization. Languages, we, we had to do all of that, it was, it was amazing, uh, f for me in that regard. And so, that's what I did. And I also ended up doing anthropology because. I became disillusioned with that thing, which I thought was so amazing as well yeah. for a whole host of reasons. Um, and about anthropology, I just loved. I was also critical of, again, I, I, I have this critical streak, as you can see. <laughs> and um, yeah, so uh, when I, I, it also included a placement in the third world, right? And, and okay. let me tell you what part of my critique um, it was weird. The campus I was at, the Scarborough campus of the University of Toronto, um, was very, uh, I, guess you could, I guess the word used today is diverse, right? Multiracial, okay. multi-ethnic, a lot of uh, children of immigrants, you know, who would have been born there and grown up and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, and, you know, it was very, I, it struck me, myself being a, a child of immigrants, um, that other immigrant children were they used to take business and uh, they used to take uh, economics like th th those are two of the biggest things right management and economics sciences for for some and stuff but none of them wanted to go and uh, save the world right. <laughs> or save the countries <laughs> where where their parents came from which is and uh, instead you had all these kind of uh, you know basically uh hippie type people, yeah. mainly of European background, you know. Um, the white guys were looking to save the world, yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, so I was like, you know, um, one of, you know, one of the few non-white whites there. And it, it was curious to me. And, and what was also curious is social interaction, because while they wanted to save the world and, and they used to dress in all these Latin American ponchos and, and tie this and all this, there were real Latin Americans on campus right. and real Thai people, but they, they weren't friends. You know, they, there was no <laughs> real social interaction. And I, I found these things very interesting. Yes. You know, it was like abstractly, um, they, they uh, embraced the idea, but 
But when it came down to real people, there was something there, you know? And uh, I, I found that, that very, very interesting. Yes, and, I, um, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, even, you know, I, I mean, also among, you know, the, the various immigrant, uh, you know, uh, children, let's say, you know, first generation people uh, in Canada and whatnot, you know, they would kind of look at me and wonder why I'm in that program with those people. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, they're all kind of like hippie, uh, you know, aim privileged people, I guess. Right. Because yeah. they're just kind of go rather than looking to, you know, make some money or, or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> um, and so I, I just found that dynamic really, really, really interesting. <laughs> but, uh, and what was that? Uh, another interesting thing was that, um, when I, I, I kind of had a change of heart with, with all this sort of observation and, and yeah. a lot of things going on with me personally uh, and me kind of changing my views and stuff. Uh, and I decided I didn't want to go to El Salvador anymore. I didn't want to be one of these save the world kind of uh, people. I wanted to go back um, to Trinidad. Okay. And, and, um, and the program which placed people like so it placed people in all sorts of you know uh, locations around the world cambodia and laos and you know el salvador and nicaragua and stuff which were very dangerous at the time the trinidad was not dangerous at the time really and uh but they didn't want me to go there and i found that interesting huh. um so th you know so there was this almost inbuilt bias that you shouldn't go back to the countries where you're from you okay so it, it's always this thing of you to go or they didn't want anybody to go no they didn't want me to go there be okay. specifically because i had links there got it so it was almost like inherently it meant saving other people like, right. like the, the whole idea is to save other people right and uh, i i actually fought them uh hard on it and i i won yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh was that round was one of your your fights with academia sorry was that round one of your fights with academia oh no, that would have been round like 20 i i from the time i went in i was i was like always combative <laughs> um i i remember uh i i had in my international relations class uh it was an american uh, professor we had uh, and his name was Rubinoff and he was uh, you know what you call a realist if you understand um, the the terminology so basically a pro-american uh, you know blatant you know American interest whatever right so this is 1980s Reagan era and stuff uh, and at that time I, I at that time as I was getting more radicalized I, I was I I, I was involved in so many different political groups and and that's that's how i also got into um ngos and mpos because to, yeah. to me it was always the same kind of thing um so i was involved with charities and stuff but i was also involved in political movements and some very radical ones and you know at a time i was involved in some anarchist groups in the 1980s okay. and uh, uh and it was weird because i was like a suburban anarchist kind of <laughs> and i would like travel down to this group yeah. in downtown who were squatting somewhere but we had this college radio program which i which i thought was so cool college radio in the 80s if yes. if you if you know hey, that was amazing that those yeah. are excellent days not enough has been written or analyzed about college radio 
it's influenced culturally, politically, musically, all that. But anyways, um, yeah. So any, I I remember the first day in class. I uh, I had this huge kind of uh, um, battle with with this guy because he he said something about how he thought uh, colonialism was a good thing. Uh, look, look at Afghanistan, Ethiopia. And I was, at that time, I just had no patience with that kind of stuff. I, you know, I, I, am, uh, I, I can understand why and what his argument was. But at the time, I, was, I just had no patience. <laughs> and uh, so it, it, it's been a, um, a long common thing with me to, to uh, voice my opinion. Uh, but I, uh, I, I try to be as congenial as possible. Though. Right. <laughs> yeah. You've you learned that as you have matured. That I, I, yelling I, and screaming doesn't always get the point across. That, that's right. That's right. You know, um, but I, on the other hand too, you know, although I, I did, I always did like, um, you know, these radical movements, these, but I, because like my parents were so like normal and my family, I always had a kind of grounding there and like, and, and I, I didn't hate my parents. Right. So right. like a lot of these people hate their dad, they hate their parents and stuff. I mean, okay. Everybody hates their dad in a little way. Right. Yeah. Just childhood rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, I, I didn't like, you know, hate my parents to, you know, a pathological degree, like, right. like a lot of these people actually do. And, um, you know, so, I, I always try to like explain my positions to, you know, my normal family. And, <laughs> and, um, and so, and, and I respected their, their opinion and I, and I always liked normal people, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the radicals hate normal people. Yeah. And I was never someone that hated normal people. And, and that kind of eventually, you know, made me break completely with the whole kind of radical movements because I, I just found you know it was just it, it, you know when you get to the extremes it's very scary in yeah. fact um and and this is where the extremes of communism and and fascism and, and and all these things because it's kind of like anti-people anti-human at the core and that right. was never my motivation it, it was always you know uh to to help people to to, to make the world a better place right and, so, um, Normal people, not just, you know, freaks yeah. or whatever. Right. And, <laughs> and that's actually something that I've come across a lot as well, or, or learned, I guess. You know, it's, it's be for something, not yeah. against something. Um, yeah. It's too easy to just be against something. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, and, uh, yeah, you, you basically have to... to to be grounded in that respect. And, and, and I think, you know, I, you know I, I see a lot of the Antifa people these days, right? I, I see a lot of these radical protesters and stuff. And I, I, I recognize it. I, because uh, um, I, I knew people like that. And, and I taught students, right? So I, I yeah. Um, so I would see it there. And a lot of times, you know, they're shouting all these things, you know, now, you know, it's against Trump or whatever. But I, and they're so intensely angry and, yeah. you know, and it's not about Trump. It, it, it's not about, or it's not about the environment or it's not about whatever it is they're, they're protesting. It's something, 
it's usually about daddy, I, I find, <laughs> when, when you dig deep down inside. Okay. Um, but, um, but it's something else. And this just happens to be the outlet um, yeah. where, which they're raging against. It's kind of yeah. something I, similar I used to see at like clubs and pubs. Um, whenever, if, if I used to like look at people fight like after they're drunk at like yeah. one o'clock or two o'clock or three in the morning or whatever, <laughs> and I'd see somebody pummeling somebody. And I'd say, you know, this incident did not cause that rage. That is yeah. bottled rage from something else that this guy now has a chance to unleash it on this poor soul that just crossed him the wrong way at yep. the wrong time and that's kind of like uh you know it's 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 a common common thing and uh it ties the personal to the political the the, the individual to the social and um yeah it's i think a lot of times these things are missed yeah it, it's interesting because what i my theory right so I, i've never done any of these studies and whatnot but I think that a lot of it, in fact, it's the breaking with the past, right? So young people always, I mean, yeah. in fact, they, they kind of have to break from the past. Yeah. And, you know, the question is, how do you break from the past? That's you know, right. Hopefully, and so far, my kids, you know, my, my son is, you know, kind of pushing me to the side, but yeah. he doesn't hate me and he's not running out trying to burn the world down. Yeah. Well, he would like to make his little corner of it his way. And, yeah. and I, <laughs> so it's how do you go about it? That's and right. I was having a discussion earlier today, you know, in what we hear in the talking heads and the, the anger and Facebook and whatnot. I'm still convinced, whatever the number is, you hear the 5% on the ends. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's what you're talking about. The, yeah. These groups are the 5% on the ends. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. And and I I am not sure actually if it's growing more than five percent. Um because I, you know, and, and this is where, you know, I kinda get more on I I I, I disavow the left and right terms because I think it, it pigeonholes you too badly. But this is where people would call me a conservative or a social conservative. Yeah. I do think the breakdown of the family has a lot to do with it. I think that you know, a, a lot of, you know, young men, especially, but, but probably, um, you know, girls, um, as well, women, young women, um, who grow up without a father, you know, have, have these sorts of deep issues and, and resentments there. And I, I don't, I, because I, I realize a lot of rebellion against authority is against your father. There, there's this deep psych. There's a connection. The father yeah. is the first authoritarian figure, and and it's kind of how you deal with that first authoritarian figure. And I mean, I remember um, too. I had to. I uh, I had to deal with that, right? Like so. And you know, as as a young man, you always have to deal with how you deal with your father when you disagree yeah. with him, and and. Uh, yeah, and I, I, and I came to terms with him and whatever differences, and still, you know, able to, to be friends. And if if I need to be critical, I I will be critical. But you know, we're we're equals now. I mean, I'm I'm old, and so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, 
it's it i i think that a, uh, a lot of people don't get to resolve these things yeah and, and there's not a lot of self-introspection yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i suspect that's true so let's go back and and for the listeners kirk yeah talk about where you truly separated from academia give us a yeah. of what happened <laughs> yeah basically um I mean, I made the break uh, uh, in a, I mean, you, one, I think it, one, it would not be unfair to say it was reckless, <laughs> but I did, I did it. Um, you were rebelling against dad, though. So. Sorry? You were rebelling against dad, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because this was much, much later. I, I, I had passed that a long time ago because uh, this was, let's see. It was sometime, It was in the early. It was in the mid two thousands, and uh, after I, you know, I had uh, been on a tenure track position at the mm-hmm. university, and um, doing. I what? had become sorry. Doing what? I was lecturing in the department of sociology at the University of the West Indies. Okay. I had also lectured at the Institute of Business there, and uh, also. Okay. I actually it wasn't doing sociology, it was behavioral sciences, so it was government sociology, and right, they merged the department. And, um, and I had become a, a well-known public figure, a public commentator, someone on TV. Okay. Sorry, all the time, someone, you know, speaking on, on politics, and, and uh, a well-regarded person and so forth, and, um, you know, and, and also a, a critic. Yeah. Uh, and a, a critic of the way, um, you know, economic policy development, you know, and underdevelopment, which, which, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, these countries are called third world because there are real problems and, and many of the problems are self-inflicted and, and uh, due to corruption and stupidity and, and other things. Um, and so I, I would not hesitate to call these things out. And, right. and I suppose that that gave me some of my reputation too, that uh, I, I would be honest and direct about these things. And uh, so th- there was somebody who came, who, I, who I'd never heard of before or never known. Uh, and he came up to me and, and was uh, telling me about all the stuff he had done uh, quietly, politically in the background, how he um, very much liked what I was saying, that there was no one else you know, saying this kind of stuff. And we really need to change society and shake it up and so forth. And we had this whole proposal of, of how we would do that um, politically, okay. socially, economically. And, um, and we, we started to do things together and elections were, were coming up in the following year. And uh, I decided to, to go all in and, and I did. And I resigned from the university to go full time in, into politics. Okay. And we also had an economic project um, as well. That was that was kind of a miniature version of, of what we proposed for redevelopment of the whole island uh, in terms of the, the physical development, the, the, the use of natural resources. The, um, uh, and it's, it's an amazing, amazing project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll cut the long story short, but it, it eventually... I don't want to say failed because it's it's still there. It just has not been able to get off the ground because of 
very, very many factors, including people making sure it's not getting off the ground. And we've had, we had a lot of fights with that and it's still continuing. But I had to leave because I spent over 10 years wow. uh, fighting that fight. And it really drained me in, yeah. in so many ways. And, so what are they fighting against? Um, fighting against briefly. the... Sorry? <laughs> I said briefly. You don't yeah, have to... yeah. I mean, fi fighting against the, the, the corruption, the, the elitism, the, the small-mindedness, and, and the self-satisfaction of the elites, right? Which is common in right. so many third-world countries. And that's why the countries are the way they are, because the elites are comfortable. While, while the mass of the population is not. Right. And, um, and so, you know, and instead of, I mean, because I was, you know, in, in many ways, I was enticed to, to be part of that elite. And I always rejected it, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I did not want to be part of that. I, I want, you know, I want still to see, you know, um, better development in, in the country. And um, yeah, so... So, you know, and, and the lawyers and the bankers and the judges and the, uh, and, and the politicians, they're, they're all connected. In a, in, yep. And it's just like, a, I mean, in, um, you know, in a North American context, I say in Canada, the U.S. or England or wherever your listeners might be, in a bigger country, you know, you can think of a small town, right? Because, yes. uh, right, so we're in a small town, you, you know, you'll never work here again or, or you right. know, where one guy owns everything or a small clique owns everything. And yeah. they can really, you know, you know, they monopolize stuff. They, and, and they, they control it and they limit people's opportunities and, and all this kind of stuff in a small country. Uh, it's, it's a very similar thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that, that's really sort of, you know, what, what we've been up against. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, my former political partner, he's, he's still at it. I still have, you know, he still has my moral support and everything, but I, I really, really had to, to go off and, and just rebuild where I was at. I just could not, um, I, I just sure. had to leave it. It took too much of a toll. And that's how I did get on to the, um, you know, the, the services that, that, that I'm offering, the how, we, how right. you came to know me. It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's so, from rebuilding myself that way, rebuilding my professional network, rebuilding my, you know, um, yeah, my, my, my reputation in, yeah. in the uh, academic world and all that kind of stuff. So, Kirk, you, we've talked about your high school, going into college, uh, you were a, a college professor, tenure track, then you went off into politics, and you're right, we ran into each other because you're talking to academics who want to make a transition out of academia. Um, as my listeners know, and as you and I have talked about, I've got a PhD in genetics. Um, I spent 12 years at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, ended up faculty there. Uh, it's the second ranked pediatric hospital or research institution in the United States. Um, and I left there, went, went into business or, or the business world for a year and a half and been working for myself for about five years. So I was very interested when you were talking about helping academics change direction or change course in life. And so tell us a little bit about that. What, what would drive 
somebody in academia, how would they know that maybe they should change direction? Yeah, I mean, I guess for, for different people, I suppose they, they would have uh, different motivations. And I suppose, you know, there are some people who I talk to where, where they are, they're interested in not really in changing direction, but expanding their influence. Okay. So, so they're not unhappy with their jobs or anything. And I suppose when I tell my story, a lot of people feel that, oh, well, you know, it's only for disgruntled people or people <laughs> who are critical of academia. And, and yeah. that's not what I mean. And, 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 and maybe sometimes when I tell my story, it, it does come off as, as too negative. Because, um, but but I, I, I do respect, um, you know, a- academia and so forth. But, but in, in, the world, in the world of politics and change, you know, I, I do believe that the university has, it, it puts inherent shackles on you. But, you know, right. that's just, that's my view. And people, you don't have to accept it. And that's fine. Yeah. I, you, but um, you and I can talk, could talk about that length. And I've got to agree. Um, academia, what I keep talking about. So now I'm in entrepreneurial world. Yeah. Startups and accelerators. Um you know, as as an academic, I would it would take us a year to get a grant. The yeah. Grant lasted for five years, so we viewed life in five year chunks. That's right. And once you get outside of academia, if you're talking more than six months, you're crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you know, another thing when you talk about getting out of academia, I remember what I did my PhD in the UK. And, uh, and that was an amazing experience and, and a lot of connections and stuff I made there. But um, I, that, that exposed me to a lot of things that I was not exposed to before, um, the way London is so connected to so many things in the world. And, um, and, and when people were telling me how the brightest people in, you know, in the world are actually not at universities, that was like a shock to me. Yeah, because I, I, I always believed the smartest people in the world were at universities. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it, you know, I heard people <clears throat> insult academics that way, you know, those who can do, do, and those who can't teach. Right. That, that, that's a common thing. And, you yeah. know, you kind of take it as a, but, um, but I really sort of understood the truth of it when I, when I, you know, became closer to, you know, movers and shakers in the real world in whatever field it was in and i realized yeah actually um (laughs) the uh the the smartest people the most cutting-edge stuff is actually outside of the university it's not and and as i said it, it was a shock to me because i had always sort of believed that you know these uh academics you know were were the cutting edge of of thinking and that's actually not the case you know yeah the one way that i look at it graciously is academics tend to go really 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 deep right they'll spend a career on one protein in in the background yeah Um, whereas people outside of academia have to pull together from all multiple disciplines yeah and and again to be gracious right i'm like yeah great that we've got them both that's right, yeah. exactly, and and of course within universities, um, you know there are you know incredibly erudite Absolutely. specialists, right? Yeah. I mean, and and where where that type of work 
you know, would be impossible to do elsewhere, you know? So, yeah. so there definitely are, you know, some, some incredible, incredible people and incredible work done. Um, yeah, but, but you're right. When well, you get out yeah. into the real world, you see, I, one simple example actually is uh, one of my partners in consulting. He spent 35 years in with the Air Force and he's doing his own stuff now. And he just, he sees connections and movements across yeah. the country. And he's like, okay, we can see that money is going to be moving this way. Yeah. So, you know, that means this. And okay, it's 2020, it's an election year. So both parties, they're going to be basically buying votes. And, you know, Pence is from this state and he has an interest in this topic. And the kind of stuff yeah. that I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in, in academia, you know, you're supposed to say compartmentalized. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I always loved inter interdisciplinary um, studies, which I ended up always doing. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, but 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 yeah, that that's absolutely right. It, it, the, the type of, of thinking, and I think for the for the majority of people in academia, they they are not at the sort of most erudite level. They they they're at the level where you know um, it's it's mundane, uh, yeah. and your and uh, yeah, it there, there's a whole there's a whole fight fight there, and and I I do think that universities have become so politicized, um, you know, with left-wing ideology yeah. now and the whole political correctness and, and there's a real constraint on speech and thought, um, what you can say, what you can research. And uh, it, it, it just seems, uh, you know, really, really an, an unfree place, uh, you know, yeah. it, not, not a place of free thought. Which, right. which, which always has been the attraction of intellectual life for me. Right. And, and that's interesting because I always say, you know, I assume that it was the way people talk about, but yeah, it is no longer a place where you go to be challenged, where you go to have your beliefs challenged and to be free to say absolutely everything and to learn how to make a reasonable, rational decision maybe you'll change your mind or maybe yeah. you'll come up with a good counter argument or whatever exactly maybe you'll, be, now, you'll learn yeah exactly now it's don't run into anything that you don't like that's right <laughs> yeah it's like uh, you know and and again i really do think it has to do with um uh with with the whole either breakdown or changing of the family structure where you know um where it, it's it's like these people are, are so sensitive because they have so many psychological issues that, that you, you dare not make them feel bad. You right. know, like that, that's, that's the worst thing in the world. You know, I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's uh, to, to be in that environment. And then the, you know, they have all this insanity now. I mean, I don't know how much is blown up by the media, right. but you know, the, the uh, you know, the, how many genders and how many pronouns and, and, and all this kind of stuff. It's just, Oh my God, yeah. it's, just, it's insane. It, it's really, really, really insane. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, and again, so, I mean, for me, it starts from the fact that you can't question it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you could, 
even have people saying whatever, you know, Facebook yeah. has 72 genders at some point. As long as you could allow people to say no. That's right. Let's talk about it. Let's have a reasoned debate. Let's not have protests and yell and scream. Yeah. But, you know, whatever you say, you know, pick your side and pick your that's argument. Right. Whatnot. <laughs> that, exactly. That's what I think academia used to be. Yeah. 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 You know, and, uh, and I certainly was, it certainly was freer. It certainly was. And um, so, I mean, so for me, uh, you know, I, I was kind of originally targeting people who, you know, who felt that they had, they, they wanted to make a contribution. They wanted to have an impact. But for some reason, you know, this, this culture that we're talking about on campus is keeping yeah. them back. Um, this fear of saying the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time. Um, or, uh, or, or maybe it's just, just the routine, the routineness of it all. Uh, or maybe the fact that you have all this admin work or, or, or whatever that just keeps you from, from whatever your the initial spark was for you yeah. to get into it in the first place. And that it kind of kills your enthusiasm, kills your soul, kills your passion. That for me, I know that, that being in the, in the media and you know, the amazing thing about being in the media when you're on TV especially being in the mass media is that you don't realize how many people you're speaking to and yeah. who is watching you. Right. And the type of connect and the people that was, you know, be in touch with you after because they saw something or they liked something you, you said or you did. And, and then that opens up an opportunity. Oh, well, why don't you come and do this? Or, and, you know, and, and then people would ask you, oh, can you come and speak at this? Or can you come and help out with that? And it's, it's amazing. And, and, you know, so it, it's not just, you know, you're teaching students and trying to get them to read the readings and, and they want to know if it's on the test and, right, exactly. and, all, and, and all this kind of stuff. It's like you're really affecting what's happening in the world right. just by talking about it to a general audience in, in the media. And now with social media, it gives you an opportunity as well, uh, you know, so that you don't have to wait on, 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 you know, being asked by major media as well. You can make, you can be your own media right? and, and you can do the, the two. So I've been, uh, you know, giving my advice because I've been doing this since, you know, the year, since the late nineties, I've been in the media, right? Um, either the written media or TV, you know, I've been on, TV and stuff since the 2000s and I've been writing in newspapers and stuff since the late 90s so you know just sharing you know my insights and journeys and, and sort of systematizing uh, what I what I did because you know a lot of that time I was in academia uh, and and as I you know and when I left I I just I continued that stuff yeah but, um, I thought you know the, you know if there are people who either, you know, you could, st I mean, just as I was in academia and doing that, you know, of course you, you can do that. Yeah. Uh, but also if, if you, you know, want to branch out and, and maybe do something different, um, you know, that I, I can sort of give you pointers there too. But, but basically people who already have, you know, intellectual authority, they, they have papers, journal articles, 
They have, they've studied a, a topic, they're experts already, but for whatever reason, maybe they might be introverted, you know, because there's a certain type of personality that's kind of <laughs> attracted to academia. Yes. Sometimes they have these quirks um, that, uh, you know, might not make them uh, very sociable or something. Right, something. exactly. That, yeah. That's all part of it, yeah. you know, and um, so it's, it's to kind of help people, you know, uh, if, if they want to, to take that step, you know, whatever it might be, because it's an area where I'm familiar with yeah. uh, to, to kind of help people out. And so that, that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, we talk about it sort of deprecatingly what, when we're in academia, you know, hey, I published this thing and it's going into something that no one's ever going to read. Yeah. So, you know, you offered the opportunity. So, you know, my brother, he, he's a college professor and he studied land politics, privatization of Russia or whatever. Right. Um, and he wrote what I'm sure is a beautiful thesis. And I think I got a copy of it and I probably opened it. Um, you know, he continues to publish and I'm sure it's fascinating. Yeah. And I bet there are three other people in the world, you know, probably That's a right. five or six in the world who have excitement. But for instance, if he wanted to make a, an impact, then if he could actually get out beyond the dusty old books that nobody looks at. <laughs> and I mean, and, and, you see, and, and that's the thing, and that's exactly the type of person who I, who yeah. I like to help, right? Because um, today, you know, Russia, it's like Russia's everywhere, right? So, yeah. and he's got all this specialized knowledge, right? Right, that that he can repurpose and, and retool. Yeah. You know? Like when I finished my PhD, uh, I, I did it on some very obscure. I, I did it on the history of Trinidad and Tobago politics and very very obscure things. You know, going back to the 1920s when we had our first election and stuff like that, and uh, and all sorts of things that, that people uh, forgot, uh, hardly yeah. knew, and. and and I mean, I loved it, but I always expected it to be obscure. Yeah. And, uh, but coincidentally, uh, the year I returned from my PhD was an election year. Ah. And, um, and, well, I had befriended, uh, I had become close to one of the country's leading intellectuals. And when he was, went on TV, uh, he had insisted to the, uh, to the producer that they invite me on as well. Um, and so I was invited and uh, I mean, now I had that help and that's great. And that's another thing I try to do too, to, to mentor people and, and to help them uh, because that helped me. But when you're there, you can get all the help you want, but when the camera's on you and they ask you a question, it's just up to you. Yes. How you answer and what you say, it, it doesn't matter who, who's backing you or whatever. It, it's, it's all up to you. Yes. But um, yeah, so, so, I, I, I performed well, I suppose. And, um, and yeah, but, but then we had uh, an, an election the, and the other year and then another year. It was like an, an electoral crisis. We, we, unlike the states, uh, we don't have fixed terms. You can call elections early okay. through, for various reasons. Um, uh, it's, it's more like the British system. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, we hear about Britain with Brexit all the time. That's yeah. right. So, <laughs> so we had three elections in three years. And so here, 
I was a, I just finished my PhD and I had, I had this wealth of knowledge in my head, just at the tip of my tongue that yeah. no one else had. And, and totally coincidentally, I, I had no idea that this information <laughs> would end up being popular. Right. But just like your brother with all this Russian information, I am sure there are some really obscure things that you right. dug up that will be very, very pertinent in today's right environment where everybody is concerned about russia absolutely know? yes and, you know and and this sort of stuff that that we may be you know researching and publishing in obscure journals on obscure topics but that information can be retold it can be used in other stories in other contexts yeah that are relevant uh, which people want to hear and right. and um and and that's something i i um i help academics do yeah. how to take the thing that they think nobody will care about nobody will have any interest in and help them see no look people right. will be interested in this yeah and, and there's two sides to that first if you're gonna spend your life studying something i would want it to be something that would matter and and somebody would care about and secondly people probably don't even know that your information exists that's right and so they don't know to care that's right, exactly. Right. <laughs> because, because, and this is what I tell people, you know, there's one point in your life when you didn't care about that. Right. <laughs> and something, something made you care. Right. Now, if you can put yourself back in that situation where you had that aha moment, that right. this is actually important. If you're able to translate that to a general public who are, where, where you were just like them, you didn't think this was important, but then something made you realize if you're able to take the public on that journey to right. understand why your seemingly obscure topic is important and you're yeah. able to put it in that context, then what you thought was obscure and nobody would be interested in is actually important because you know, you thought if you thought it was important, somebody, there are going to be other people who, who would also cool. understand why it's important. Yes. And again, if you study it, hopefully it was important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's what I keep coming back to. You know, you may think that it's unimportant, but if you spent your time, hopefully it had a purpose and a point. Yeah, and yeah. And, and you must have, have, you know, you, you must have figured it was important at some point. Yeah. And then you, you, you would be reading other people's works and they would have thought it was important. Right. <laughs> and you would have been taught that. Cited you who think That's that right, exactly. <laughs> and you would have had professors who taught you and they would have thought it's important. Yes. So, so, you know, so it, yeah. it's just, it, you know, it, it's kind of like um, when people use jargon. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it makes people's eyes glaze over, yes. understandably. But, but you have to be able to, to step back from the jargon to understand, well, you know, this jargon is really shorthand for something else, yeah. right? And, and, so it, and this is why my link to normal people has always, uh, has, I think, uh, put me in good stead. Uh, because I kind of always think of uh, having to explain it to my mother. <laughs> and and I, I think of it in that way. And I, I've done that a lot in my life. I've tried to explain a lot of things that I felt passionate about yeah. to my mother. You know? and, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, she might not be, you know, into that kind of stuff but you know i uh able to to break it down 
in a simple way to make yeah. it to, to make her see the relevance. And I think that's great practice for people. If, yeah, I've always said if you can explain it to a ten-year-old or a twelve-year-old or a sixteen-year-old, and have them see it, you know, that's that's a very important skill to have. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like when I watch your your videos and listen to you is you do speak so that anybody can understand it and there's not all this techno jargon and all that kind of stuff. And that's one thing that I'm happy being out of academia yeah. is, you know, I, I've always been one who has been good at communicating with anybody. Yeah. You know, the lowest level person up to the CEO or whatever. Yeah. And the way to do that, it, it's funny, right? So, so many technical people don't get it you probably want to talk to both of those people the same way. That's right. Your CEO might be the brilliantest guy or girl ever. However, they don't know what you're doing. <laughs> they That's don't right. care that you've got 15 minutes and they've got a, an 18 hour day. And That's so right. just make it easy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And don't, so many, so many technical people think that if they sound really smart using big long words, that impresses people, it tires people in mind. That's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so this has been great talking. I really appreciate your time. Um, and so if some academ academic is interested in adding some additional uh, outlet, let's say, yeah. um, what would you suggest that they do? Yeah, well, they can, um, they can take, a, I have a, a free masterclass where I, I go through some of the steps. And, and then I also offer free strategy calls. Uh, you know, so, so I do offer these free resources to help people yeah. out. And you know, if they want to take it further, uh, I also have some paid services as well. But my, my free stuff is, you know, yeah. is good enough. If, if you can, if you can yeah. work with that, you can take that. And I have that at becomeapublicintellectual.com. Okay. So you can sign sign up for that there and then i've i'm actually releasing a uh, course very very soon called okay. bulletproof podcast formula i i anticipate within the next week or two and i've been talking about it a lot on linkedin um and that's at uh that's at bulletproofpodcastformula.com okay right? so so i'll be having that there um that that's that particular site is not up and running as yet. It's just a test site for now mm -hmm. um, because as I said, in the next two weeks, it will be up for sure. But yeah. become a public intellectual.com. That's there. And you can check me out on LinkedIn, on Facebook, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So and on YouTube, my YouTube channel, my right. uh, podcast, their independent thought and freedom. So you could check that out. And, and if someone wants to actually contact you directly, yeah. What would be the best way? Right. Well, you can contact me. I mean, a, a PM on, on Facebook or on LinkedIn is fine. Uh, my email address, I can leave it for you uh, there. Okay. I, it's Dr. Kirk Migo at becomeapublicintellectual.com. Right? Okay. So I, I will uh, put that, uh, I will give that to you so you can uh, have the link there and they could contact me directly there. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again. Um, it's been great talking to you. And yeah, last time we talked was fantastic as well. So um, really excited about what you do. I know that there are a lot of intellectuals, academics who could 
who could benefit from an additional outlet, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it really, sometimes you're, you feel crushed in your job and your routine and, and you feel that you, you, you know that, you know, that, uh, you know, you, you see people on TV talking about a subject that you're an expert in and you say, they're idiots. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I should be up there. You know? and, exactly. Uh, and you should, you should be up there. So. Yes, absolutely. And thank you, Doc, uh, Dr. Kirk Megu, who will help you to be that one instead of that idiot that you see on TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely.